Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 273 for Monday, November 27th, 2023. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixlriffs, and joining me as always is the scam-fighting superhero, Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. <laughs> I don't know about superhero, uh, but uh, we were talking in the render distance today about potentially avoiding holiday scams via email and text message and login prompts and all the phishing attempts that the uh, bad actors send out this time of year with all of the holiday shopping that is going on. We were also talking a little bit about Black Friday deals and or the lack thereof, really, uh, and things like that on the render distance. That's the extended version of the podcast. If you're new this week and you've never heard of it, uh, that is extra audio that our paid patrons get to listen to every single week. It's about a half an hour to 40 minutes of extra content. You can go to patreon.com slash the spawn chunks, uh, join at any level uh, outside of the free level. Of course, the paid members get access to that. They also get access to things like the monthly Minecraft hangout and the quarterly hangout. Uh, the November Minecraft hangout took place this Saturday on the 25th, and that will be published on the Spun Chunks Patreon page later today and will auto-populate the RSS feed there. If you are looking forward to the December hangout, they normally happen on the last Saturday of the month. However, that's December 23rd, which is really close to Christmas. So people in our Discord will have to keep an eye on the announcements channel uh, to see when we sort out the timing of the next Minecraft Hangout. We are currently discussing our holiday schedules and trying to figure out what's going to happen in December, but we will let everyone on the podcast know about when the episodes are going out, and then we will let everybody in the Discord know about where the extra content is happening over the holidays. But if you got some Black Friday deals, then maybe you have a little bit of spare pocket change, consider signing up to the Patreon. It can make a good Christmas present for the family as well, if you're interested in getting deeper into the Minecraft community and participating in this extended conversation. Uh, but our conversation obviously turns to what we've been doing in Minecraft this week. So, Joel, how's West Hill doing? West Hill is doing pretty well. I am getting closer and closer to finishing up this marsh project at the front of the um, the curtain wall, and uh, I'll include some uh, a little like before picture and, and kind of where I am now. Uh, the marsh section is actually done. Uh, so I have completed all the foliage and uh, this week what I did was remove the old decoration at the base of the curtain wall, which was kind of grassy and, and earthy and replaced it with piles of cobblestone and mossy cobblestone. So it's, it looks more like a man-made fill where you'd have to fill in the marsh before you built a wall on top of it. Otherwise your wall is just going to sink into the marsh and that wouldn't be good at all. So the curtain wall looks a lot sturdier now. Uh, I then had to extend the marsh uh, like five or six blocks up to the wall. So that took, you know, a better part of an hour. Uh, but overall, I think it's come together quite nicely. Uh, the tricky part now is that I am working on the landscaping of that bedrock shoal that we talked about last week that kind of rises up out of the river. And what I'm attempting to do is get the water to look like it's running down over the shoal. It's hard to do in Minecraft because whenever you have water running over something, essentially, if it's going downhill, each block is going to be a full block of water that then trickles down onto the next block. So it's hard to get a thin layer of water unless you're going over something flat. And so what I've decided to do instead is have a couple of like eroded streams, like little places where the, the water has pushed grooves into the bedrock over time and then try to retexture the the bedrock shoal to look wet and look like water is sheeting over it everywhere, even though you can't physically do that in Minecraft. I'm about halfway done. Uh, there's uh, 
three, four uh, little waterfalls, I think, that I've got going. And those are pretty much finished. Uh, I haven't done, there's a wide section that's like four or five blocks wide that I haven't done yet. So that's left on the to-do list. Uh, but I've been using uh, Deep Slate, Tough, and Cobblestone uh, because we don't really have a wet looking block that works. Uh, I've got some mud in there, but unfortunately it, it doesn't blend very well with anything around it because it's got such a solid texture, whereas cobblestone and tough, they're kind of noisy so that you can kind of put them next to each other and they kind of blend together visually. And uh, I'm also trying to match the other side of the river. So the other side of the river, which is where the West Hill Bridge is or the West Bridge is, uh, that has a lot of deep slate and tough in the geology there. So I'm trying to make it look like that rock structure kind of continues under the river and then comes up the other side. I'm trying to make it match. And so far, so good. Like I, I think the mossy cobble helps. Uh, it's hard to capture in screenshots, of course, because of the timing. But I do have soul sand at the bottom of each little river uh, trickling down. So it looks like there's bubbles coming up as the as the water hits the, the main river. Uh, I think the trickiest part of all of it is just trying to make it look uh wet and and not too busy and i've i think i've managed to go okay the the hard part of course is that the curtain wall is made out of andesite at the bottom and stone at the top and then this um stone bedrock shoal that comes up is also andesite and stone so i'm trying to make sure that there's enough happening that they don't blend into one another and um, so far so good but it's just it's time consuming it's a lot of fun to control water and get it to look the way that you want though so it's very satisfying in that way uh, but it's just it's taken a while and i'm throwing in some extra greenery here and there and trying to make it look like it's been grown over a bit but it's um when this is done that this is going to be a, a good portion of the the north side of of the town finished nice to have like a big landmark like this that you're like we can do one thing in this area and then it's done as opposed to having like a bunch of micro projects basically mm -hmm. like you've, mm -hmm. you've got the marsh section and then you've got this sort of yeah the bedrock shoal section and that sort of like divided into two large chunks that you can tick off your list one thing one question i was going to ask is that you were talking about how fun it is to like control water and like the satisfaction of getting it looking the way you want it do you put in the water first and then build the rock stuff out of it or are you working from the rock and carving channels for the water because one of the things i always love in minecraft that minecraft doesn't do naturally is when water changes elevation and you end up with something that looks like a gradually forming river or a river that actually has sources and tributaries and stuff that bleeds into the river from elsewhere so like I think the way you've done this looks really natural and I was wondering how you started that process if you started with the rocks or started with the water first. So I started with uh, the rock and then I carved the channels into it but I didn't have the water flowing right away. Uh, I just have enough practice to kind of think okay I know that water in Minecraft is going to flow to the next lowest block and then you try and create like a, a, a chasm for it to go down and in order for these waterfalls to look believable or for this runoff to look believable you want to try to have as few water sources as possible so you want it to run three blocks or more and then you want it to drop and then you want it to run a couple more blocks and you want it to drop or you want it to go in a zigzag but what you don't want it to go down is like a staircase because it doesn't really look that natural yeah yeah and what i found that you can do is you carve that channel, you let the water flow, and it, sometimes it'll stop, but other times it'll go all the way to the bottom the way that you want. And the trick there is 
sometimes you want it to backtrack a little bit. And if you've got water falling down one or two blocks, you can do things like waterlog a slab or waterlog a stair. And that doesn't affect the water flow because the moment that the water flows down a block, it then becomes a new count of eight before it, you know, will stop flowing. Mm -hmm. And so adding a water source there doesn't matter. It doesn't affect the, the height of the flow, but it will affect the height of the flow coming into the top of it. So what I often do is I'll have the water flowing down and then any spot that looks unnatural where it looks like there's a really big, like meter long chunk of water that's going over something. I try to cut that back as best I can. And I find that the best way to do that is to almost have more water than you need going down. And then you kind of use blocks to push the water back and try to remove places where it falls too far. Um, it, it, ends up being counterintuitive. Your trench looks too deep, but then when it, when you look at it from a player standpoint, uh, the water doesn't look like it goes over the rocks in big chunks. It looks like it flows over them nicely. And I find that that's a nice trick. And then what I do is I go back and I say, okay, well, I've obviously made this trench too deep. So then I can reduce the height of the sides of it. So you might have a block that's directing the water to go left and right. But if the water is trickling down to like a level three or a four, you don't need a full block there. You can change that to a slab and it still looks like the water will hit it and change directions. And so that helps the water look like it's more natural as opposed to like this big trench that's been carved in by the player. And so it's a lot of, it's a lot of finicking around. Like it's a lot of trial and error. It's a hard to plan exactly. Um, the only thing that I try not to do is have like a straight line of like three or four blocks in a row. Uh, or in this case, I was trying not to have the water drop more than two blocks in a row either. I wanted to kind of go steady. Like if it drops a block, then it has to travel two or three, then it drops another block, that kind of thing. And that just is the the angle at which the rock, the the landscape is. I'm trying to make it look more natural. Yeah. And and it's a smart way of working as well. I think it it looks very natural what you've got there in these screenshots. And that's a difficult look to achieve because more often than not, the way the game makes water look it feels very mechanical and even and precisely mm -hmm. the opposite to how water feels in the real world which is kind of free-flowing and organic and curved if it's going over a fall or something like that and i find that a lot of players are either going to do just a straight flat river because animating water and allowing it to flow around objects and stuff doesn't feel like it looks right a lot of the time because of the way water flow mechanics work and how difficult it is to have flowing water over the top of a larger body of water and then the other option is to have a big waterfall which is really just managing the water coming down from height and then continuing a flat river beyond that and like while it works for larger bodies of water for smaller things like this it really helps to have some elevation change to make the water feel more dynamic and so yeah i think it's it's a a brave task to even attempt something like this but i think you've pulled it off with style thanks man i, I really appreciate that and uh, i i talk about this a lot on the stream so like the, the vods are available on joel duggan vods uh well right now they're only on twitch because i haven't moved them over but you know when they do get onto the the youtube page then there's portions where you can actually see me working through these problems and actually one of the the rivers that forks in the middle of this that the fork wasn't planned i had three streams and then i realized that i was having a lot of trouble with that middle stream and i just couldn't get it to look right and i was like you know what i just that maybe i'll just i'll fork it and i'll move it over and sure enough like that was the thing that needed to happen but that was not in the original plan and it created a lot more work because then i had instead of 
three to design. I had four to design. And so it, it added more to it, but and it ended up giving me more what I wanted. And so there's a certain amount of, you can plan the textures you want to use, but the actual path of things, like it's, it's kind of hard to plan. You kind of have to go with what feels right. And I know that's hard for people that might not be artistic and, and, you know, have those kind of visions. And, uh, I, I think ultimately you just, you have to go with what, you know, you're trying to emulate. And I've passed things like this in real life on hikes. And it's, it's re it's nigh impossible to do in Minecraft because what happens around here, you'll have this bedrock that'll come out of the ocean and on, you know, on a, a coastline and there's maybe four or five inches of topsoil and you've got everything from trees to grasses and things that are growing on top of that. But when it rains, the water has got nowheres to go. Mm -hmm. So you're looking at runoff down the faces of rocks. That's several meters wide, but only a couple of millimeters deep. And you just can't do that in Minecraft. Yeah. You can't yeah. Just have water sheeting down rocks in that way. At least not yet, Mojang, not yet. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, uh, I appreciate the compliment. It's, it's, it was an interesting experiment. And I said before, I'm glad I did the little marsh on the East road as like a proof of concept before attempting something three times the size. Yeah. And so I had a method and this, even though this took longer because it was bigger, it felt like it went smoother because I had a process. Like I knew you flood everything first, then you put in the mud and the roots, and then you do the foliage on top and then you do the runoff. Like you kind of do it in stages and it works out quite well. Yeah. Well, while you've been taking a more natural and subtle approach to water, I've been taking the brute force approach to water in my own <laughs> world because I spent Went last behind week... the ears this week. Absolutely. I spent the last week on a guardian farm. Uh, I've drained a circle around an ocean monument similar to the farm I did in season two of the Minecraft survival guide. We are now on season three. And uh, I rebuilt the same style of farm, but with a smaller spawning area. It's just two towers full of water with bubble columns at the bottom and just you know eight block sections to either side so that an eight block water stream can push the guardians into a tunnel that effectively takes them down into the the killing chamber 23 blocks below the farm um, but in order to do that i've had to drain all of the water out of the surrounding perimeter i've completely dismantled the monument down to the base layer of prismarine which is the lowest point at which any guardians can spawn and then i built the farm on top of that and dug out an area below where the killing mechanism is and uh, a few things have changed i don't know if it was possible to use path blocks in these farms previously because i think having a water source dispensed over path blocks might have like reverted them back to dirt before or if it is it's just not something that i've considered since i last built a guardian farm but now I'm finding that path blocks work really well for the guardians to fall onto. They're non-solid so that items can drop through them. They have that lower visual and actual hitbox so that you can still hit them through the gaps but then not be lasered in exchange. And I think it, it worked out pretty well for me this time. It felt like I, uh, I kind of had the process down to a fine art. I wasn't having to look up a bunch of mechanics to remind myself how any of it worked. I was just able to get on and do it. So very happy that I now have that. I've got a skeleton farm that was my XP grinder up until this point, but now Guardians are going to provide a ton more XP than the skeletons would. The main thing is just getting comfortable with taking Thorns damage. And so I have a beacon set up nearby with resistance and regen that's going to help a little with that. The main thing that is left is deciding how to decorate the exterior, because I wanted to make this a landmark of the world, and I talked a bit about this in the video on this subject. There are obviously farms that you can make without draining any water whatsoever. You can set up some soul sand bubble columns, or you can you know, apply a couple of other techniques. You can have them all channeled into nether portals and send them through the nether and back out into the overworld and, and kill them that way. But 
in this case I decided I wanted to keep it as a landmark and have it be like a special project that we did as part of the series and so I'm still thinking about aesthetically what I want to do I've drained all of the water out from underneath the monument where the legs of it are, which was only really on one side because it sits on this slope of gravel and stone on the ocean floor. And from this point on, I'm not certain what I want to do to decorate the exterior around where the monument is. And it touches the circle on the four corners of the square base of the monument. So it's not like I have a huge amount of space around the outside, but I'm left with these four slim semicircles or semi-ovals that I want to fill with something. I just haven't decided what yet. It's the kind of thing where it might be frustrating knowing how many different copper textures are coming, but not <laughs> coming for six plus months, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, or more uh, because of just be the nature of uh, clearing an ocean monument and prepping it for uh, for this kind of thing means you end, end up having a lot of prismarine. So very often you see uh, guardian farms are made out of prismarine because you just you just naturally have a lot of that stuff because of that's what you've just dismantled right yeah um but uh i also know that the reason why they're always circular is because of course that's the least amount of water removal and the least amount of work um but i mean you could you could always take out more water you know you could take out little corners like maybe turn it into something that looks like a compass rose or something where it would remain a little bit of extra water removal but it also might give you some extra patterns or shapes to play with on the floor um you could do some cool stuff with glazed terracotta if it's meant to be seen from above you know you can create a mosaic or something like that um i um refresh my memory on the mechanics like if on a single player world if you're sending the guardians into the nether like through a portal which you're not doing now right they're all dying in the overworld yes yeah no yeah. This, this doesn't use nether portals at all thankfully right um yeah how would that work on a single player world like does, do you have to like somehow keep the nether loaded uh, you either have to keep the nether loaded or you have to push the guardians through the nether and out the other portal in a short enough time that the portal keeps the chunks around it loaded. And I'm not entirely certain. I I've never really used those farms on anything oh, okay. other than a multiplayer server. But I do think that the nether portal on the opposite side, if you're not in that dimension, will load stuff around it for long enough for like an entity to fall through it for like a second and then you know stuff can happen there but it really depends whether or not a player is around i think it's going to function best if you have a second account you can leave logged in while you're using the farm or something which i've done a couple of times just for spectator camera shots of various things but mm -hmm. i didn't really want to do too much like that and rely on afking with two accounts in order to build up drops and aside from that this farm functions super well on its own like it gets decent rates it's got two decent sized spawning tanks which have like a maybe a 7 by 20 area on the inside wow. and that's enough like I, I was thinking about building a third one or even a fourth and having like a plus shaped kind of farm going on don't need it um because yeah the guardians fall through pretty regularly and you can get all of the guardians drops just by leaving the farm off and having the guardians die of full damage you just don't get xp that way but you still get prismarine crystals and so right. you're lacking you know the looting that you might have on a sword to get hold of some more of the drops but you can afk farm that as much as you want um my main reason for keeping it as a player kill farm as, a, as an option was just because i don't have a better xp farm yet i haven't built an enderman farm or a zombie piglin farm i've got basic villager trading done which is getting is getting me more xp that way than 
it was worth going to the skeleton farm for at this point. But yeah, I'm, I'm feeling out the options as far as that stuff goes. And decoration will probably come to me at some stage. I'll, I'll settle on an idea. But right now, I think I'm just like not burnt out on this project, but I'm a little tired of looking at mm, it for the moment. And yeah, I'm, I'm, it's a I'm, lot of work. I'm going to feel out how I want to use the space from a utility perspective before I decide on decorations that may or may not get in the way. Well, one utility you may want to wait for, or at least plan for the future, is the crafter. Yes, absolutely. I, I kind of, I built the storage room already, and I don't have pictures of that for the Discord chat, but I can I can maybe find some of those. And I, I built some of the item filters for the different things, and we've got three chests just filtering out the prismarine shards, because you're getting most of those. And then obviously you've got to make room for the fish and, you know, occasional stuff like that that you get and the prismarine crystals. But on the other side of the room, I have a little crafting station so that I can make some of the blocks as I go. And I mentioned in the video, you know what, all of this is going to be basically obsolete once the crafter arrives, and we have to figure out the spaghetti of getting a crafter to make us some sea lanterns and some prismarine blocks and dark prismarine and stuff as well. And where I put a squid farm around any of this is going to be another task in time. Oh, but, yeah, right. Um, yeah. yeah. At, at that point, I will probably have a squid farm in a river biome somewhere and maybe just import the uh, the black dye from there. But, you know, you'd only need, you only need black dye to craft dark prismarine now. You don't need specifically ink sacks anymore. So that could just as easily come from a wither rose farm if we set up something like that. Right. The, there are a variety of options at this stage. I can tell you. If you want a lot of ink uh, or ink sacks, then uh, simply build a marsh near a river and they will just <laughs> commit suicide and, and give themselves to you. Yeah, I yeah. can't tell you the amount of squids that just like show up out of nowhere and like headbutt rocky shoals until I get free ink. It's it's kind of ridiculous. I, I have an ink farm. We have an ink farm in the modern city because, of course, for the concrete roads and things and uh, for all the gray and the black dye. But I, I've never had to go there because I have like a, a shulker box full of ink sacks. Yeah. Know, from working around Westall that has three rivers running through it. They just, they're all, everywhere. Honestly, I can just imagine working around a river like that and bringing an allay with you carrying an ink sack and just having it pick oh up gosh. all of the stuff from the squid that you missed. You know, there's a, there's yeah. a good use for allays if people are still... Missed opportunity. People are still uh, missing out on that. Uh, well, this week we have a couple of uh, minor releases to cover we've got minecraft java edition 1.20.3 pre-release 1 and 2 uh, pre-release 1 arrived on november 20th and there are a few technical changes in pre-1 including the data pack version now being 26 and the resource pack version being 22 both of these have just renamed the minecraft grass block and item to minecraft short grass this is not grass blocks this is the grass that grows on top of grass blocks and i think that's just for um, ease of use when you're navigating through commands and you think that grass is going to give you a grass block and it gives you the grass item. Uh, so if you're filling an area with that, it gets a little confusing. Anyway, uh, aside from that, there are some changes to downloaded and world resource pack handling. Uh, the changes apply to world resource packs. That That's the resources.zip file that you can uh, download. And realms resource packs, along with resource packs controlled by dedicated servers. Downloaded packs are now stored in the downloads directory with a slightly different file organization than old server resource packs. Files in this directory are no longer kept automatically cleaned, where previously only up to 10 packs were kept. And additionally, inside the directory, there is a log file, log.json, that stores information about downloaded files for debug purposes. 
Effectively, to summarize, this seems to allow servers to set up and apply multiple resource packs throughout a play session, so it could be possible to automatically apply a resource pack as you move from one area to another. Some fixed bugs of note in 1.20.3 Pre-1. Uh, these all apply to the experimental features. There are some changes to breezes, uh, specifically breezes in minecarts and boats being passive. That's now been fixed, along with their inability to attack in deep water and inability to attack while under the effects of the levitation status effect. There is also a bug from a previous snapshot version, which doesn't seem to have affected any major releases, but the number of blocks from TNT explosions was capped to 16 instead of dropping 100% of the blocks affected by the explosion radius. That's now been reverted and fixed as well, along with end crystals and TNT minecarts that explode without a source entity were dealing no damage whatsoever. That's been fixed as well. Uh, quickly after that, 1.20.3 pre-release 2 followed on November 22nd. There is one change in this version, which is that Breeze wind charges now break decorated pots, chorus flowers, and pointed dripstone blocks upon collision. A few fixed bugs of note in 1.20.3 pre-2 include the rain texture not looping correctly and decorated pots with a loot table desynced item consumption if it could not be inserted in the pot. So for those of you who've been trying out trial chambers and noticed that occasionally you accidentally right-click on a decorated pot and it like eats your pickaxe for a few seconds before dropping it back into your inventory, that bug should have been fixed with this pre-release. Further information on the technical changes along with a full list of bug fixes can be found at the minecraft.net change logs on uh, minecraft.net and linked in our show notes as well. Yay, I'm looking forward to a new minor update. Fingers crossed before the Christmas holiday because I really want to update data packs and move West Hill forward. And I've been waiting just because if I do it now, I'm just going to have to do it again yeah. know, when 1.20.3 comes out. So I've been constantly apologizing for broken tables and chairs floating around in West Hill as I walk around during streams. So I'm looking forward to actually fixing that permanently and, and moving forward. And uh, love the idea of resource packs being applied based on an area within a server. That's really cool as a server that has a medieval fantasy area and potentially moving on to a sci-fi future area with a modern city area that's been around for a while too, uh, along with everybody's normal areas. If anybody on a server wanted to do something really intricate with a custom texture or even just something like me where I've got uh, a custom texture for hay bales and I've used them next to birch blocks and things that they go very well with and roofs around West Hill. And it'd be nice if somebody walked into my area and the texture pack just loaded and said, Hey, by the way, you know, you need this in order to proceed because otherwise things are going to look a little bit weird. And, uh, I think that's great. Like that's, that's a lot of fun. Uh, I think, you know, it depends on how vanilla you want to keep your experience right now. We all just use the same, uh, the same texture pack, but that's because there's, I mean, I can count the number of regular players on the Citadel in one hand. So it's a lot easier to manage that way, but uh, on a busier server or a server that is really large, like something like Hermitcraft or uh, other creators that we've had on the show have been participating in, then that could be really fun for either one-off experiences, you know, like people that do like um, those hardcore servers for like a month or two, uh, you could have some custom textures there and just kind of have that experience be different depending on what area of the server you're in. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, I think the example I've seen of this in the past is in um, like minigame servers like Hypixel and Mineplex and some of those where 
it feels like it can apply a different texture pack as you travel out to different minigames that might retexture certain tools or items as, as different stuff and, and loot and weapons and stuff within the games. But then you realize that those are effectively a series of servers that are tied together on the back end by plugins like Bungie Cord. And effectively, the lobby is a different server to where you're actually playing the game. And it just logs you into a different server without ever signing you out of the original server in Minecraft. And so this would allow for all of that stuff to effectively be built on the same server, although I don't know if that's still going to make the the most sense technologically speaking because of the load on that individual server. But yeah, like you said, being able to go from, say you planned your sci-fi area on the Citadel, being able to walk there and have it automatically apply a texture pack in the background, I think it said in the changelog, although we didn't read this in the main notes because there was a lot of like individual details, that instead of having like a, wait, hold up, it's applying a texture pack, are you sure you want to accept? That can now be just a toast that pops up in the the top right hand corner like when you unlock recipes in game and so it will just nice. say like applying texture pack for this area without interrupting the flow of your gameplay experience and then you That's can just awesome. walk from one place to another and then the world around you will change and will load a new set of textures which yeah as if it works smoothly i think that's choice i think that works really really well I think it was really funny, actually. You asked for 1.20.3 last <laughs> week, and I think we we clocked it in the in the post show, or even like after we'd finished recording the the uh, post show segment of the render distance. Uh, the the pre release came up on Monday last week, so we just missed it by a, a few fractions of a second. But such is the way with these pre releases; they usually remind everybody that they don't necessarily rely on the you know wednesday every week schedule that normal snapshots of development features do so yeah we're potentially going to get a couple more minor pre-release versions in the next week or so before 1.20.3 presumably arrives sometime in early december i looked it up and 1.19.3 was released on december 7th last year 2022 there was a sound update the new look for the vex and a lot of creative mode inventory changes and then 1.19.4 was released in 2023 in March, and that had the horse breeding changes and jukebox changes and like a bunch of other under the hood stuff. But those were the big flagship things to note in those in those changes. So we could potentially see uh, a 1.20.3 before the holidays, given that we're in pre-release and we're not even done November yet. That's that's likely, I would say. Uh, I mean, anything is possible, but I'm sure if they're moving in that direction, they'd like to check that box before everybody goes on Christmas holiday at Mojang. Yeah. And, yeah. and then going into the spring, like we could see a 1.20.4, you know, or potentially more depending on what they need or have to do. Sometimes it, it, they focus on bug fixes and that's, that's great. Uh, other times we see small things like we see tweaks like uh, the bat, you know, as a as an addition in these minor updates. So I'm looking forward to 1.20.1, but I'm now getting used to these minor releases that are often fixing bugs, tweaking things in the game, uh, bringing things up to speed that make more sense, like not necessarily crafting recipes, but just I feel like they've lined things up in better ways in terms of like where the creative menu keeps things. And as the game grows, these minor releases seem to be a nice way for them to say like, wait, wait a second. Let's just, if we reorganize this, it'll make a lot more sense for new players or it'll make everything a lot more streamlined for people that have been playing the game or, or using the game in a certain way. And I, I think that what I get from the minor releases to Minecraft uh, as a general feeling is that they tend to be updates for current players, quality of life changes, 
Whereas the big releases, the major releases, the dot 21, you know, and on onward, they tend to be for everyone. Like they, they tend to be for people that have been playing the game for a long time, but also meant to bring in new people, you know, like shiny new trail uh, or trial uh, chambers and like all the fancy stuff, you know, that, that gets a lot of attention, uh, obviously help bring in new players. But uh, I think the minor releases tend to be more focused on like, oh, hey, cool. You've been playing this game for a couple of years. Let's, let's show you a couple of things that are going to make your life a lot easier. That seems to be the impression that I get from the minor releases. Yeah, and there's a couple of things in 120.3 which are really quite cool features, like being able to add items into decorated pots, for example. Mm -hmm. That's coming in this update, and I think that's something I will use in the survival guide more or less as soon as it arrives. But with keeping track of the snapshots, and the snapshots obviously focusing decorated pots in areas like trial chambers, and having them have loot tables there and stuff, I've been thinking, oh, that's a 1.21 feature. But it's not. It's coming in 120.3 for players to play around with already and while it obviously makes sense to imagine oh 1.20.3 is going to be the last minor update for 1.20 well they'll focus on 1.21 in new year and then we'll just kind of go until we get that update development doesn't necessarily work this way anymore and it's a hard habit to get out of when you're thinking oh they're just going to save all of these minor sort of refinements for existing features for the major update and it's all going to come in one go and that's not the case anymore and so it's difficult for me to get my head around that as somebody who's been following the releases for you know almost a decade at this stage but yeah it's it's exciting to see that that stuff's on on in the pipeline and hopefully fairly soon we're going to be, ge be getting a bit more news about what's coming in 1.21 itself our main discussion this week is going to focus on what we predict might be coming in 1.21 what the direction of that update is going to be but in the meantime we're going to read some emails uh, we've got a couple more chunk mails to read out and joel is going to take this first one if you would like to email the show send that on into spawnchunkmail at gmail.com please use that email address Keep them short, keep them sweet. It increases the likelihood of getting them on the show, as well as being topical. Like King Smiles, a pile of bones. Hi, Johnny and Joel. With the new trial chambers coming soon, I felt there is a missed opportunity to introduce two other skeleton types that would fill the empty space in the difficulty range. Of course, more mobs, more problems. However, the modded versions of skeletons, such as the axe skeleton and sword skeleton, would be great additions to the trial spawners. Not only would these add more challenge, but also suspense in each room. Is that a normal skeleton spawner in which I just need to let them shoot one another to survive? Or am I going to have to run away from four axe-wielding bone boys? Curious what you think? King Smiles sent all those who insulted the crown to join his skeleton army. <laughs> it's very, very skeletal behavior from King Smiles. <laughs> I, expect that, <laughs> I, ex I expect that smile is a permanent one because you are just a skull. Uh, you're revealing your agenda too soon. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is a, a fun thing. Uh, they talk about the modded versions of skeletons being sort of axe and sword wielding ones. But really all you need to do is modify the equipment. Skeletons can already pick up swords and they effectively become wither skeletons in everything but the wither effect and the height. So I think that there's there's potential for this to just be a very easy data pack kind of thing. You might even be able to program that into a custom trial spawner already. If you can modify equipment by messing with data tags and stuff, you could probably have skeletons spawning with an axe. Although this is the point at which you should ask whether or not you should. <laughs> Has science gone too far? Because axes 
in my experience, are pretty powerful weapons. The reason Vindicators and Piglin Brutes hit as hard as they do is because they have axes, and on Java Edition especially, axes are very powerful weapons. They have a flat attack damage from stone axes on upwards, and I think netherite axes are a point extra because everything netherite does a point extra of attack damage, but that's what makes Piglin Brutes so lethal on Java, even if they just have a gold axe, is because the axe is a menace. <laughs> um, so I'm wondering, maybe give the skeletons wooden axes that do a little bit less attack damage, because otherwise you're just going to have a bunch of skeletons rushing you in very little way to defend yourself. It's funny you mention that, because as I've been building more and more around Westdale and my inventory has become tighter and tighter, I don't carry a bow and a sword with me. I just deal with mobs with my axe. Mm -hmm. And it's another right axe and it, it does the job, you know, like I have to hit them a couple times, but still it's, it's better than trying to punch them with a pickaxe. That's for sure. Or a shovel as funny as it would be, uh, to, to bean skeletons with a shovel and have it make a nice noise. <laughs> Pang. I, yeah. I, I, yeah. I wanted to have that frying pan. Absolutely. You know? Yes. Yeah. Too, yeah. too real. 100%. Too real. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I have to remind myself that it's not a Canadian snow shovel. It's, it's a, you know, dirt shovel, like yeah, a spade. Yeah. but still, um, I think that the, game right now telegraphs the spawners you know so you know by going up to that spawner what you're going to get whether it's a mushroom for poison tipped arrows from skeletons or whether it's just you know um podzol or whatever um maybe something like a sapling around the spawner for axe skeletons and i don't know cobblestone or maybe dripstone for like a pointy reference for skeletons with swords if that's what you wanted that i mean whether that's part of the data pack or whether you know it's just it was something that ends up being in the game um, I think they would probably want to telegraph what's happening. There seems to be a kind of balance between making the game more challenging for players, but not making the game unpredictably challenging for people that are either not good at PVE or e even younger players that are just like, they don't want that kind of surprise. You know, they kind of want to be able to learn how to guess what's coming and that becomes part of the game. So I'd imagine if they did add any other variants to the mobs that we're seeing in trial chambers or from trial spawners that there would be some sort of telegraph via the blocks around the spawner as to what's coming yeah yeah definitely and and i i can see myself avoiding the axe wielding skeletons honestly i think if you can program a trial spawner to do this already it might be worth playtesting it yourself and seeing if you still have the same opinion <laughs> because i i get the sense that Having fought my way through a few of these in survival, um, I think anything with an axe in there, there aren't currently any axe-wielding mobs that appear by default in there, because the only ones would be if you gave custom equipment to something or if you got Vindicators. And when we did a, a test run of Vindicators in a spawner, when I was streaming this with Azuma and, and, and the other folks, there was honestly like a huge difficulty spike once axes get involved because most of the time you're going into combat situations like that with a shield and people often forget this if they don't use shields regularly and they're just facing down one mob at a time but axes stun shields so you can't use a shield effectively it goes on a cooldown and you have to run away and wait a couple of seconds before you can raise a shield to one of these mobs again and that's a problem when you're dealing with spawners that in the case of trial spawners, will spawn multiple of them at a time, and in a multiplayer setting, can be programmed to spawn even more. So you go in there with three or four friends, the spawner fires up and goes, okay, there are four people here, I need to spawn eight vindicators. <laughs> and, and suddenly those all rush at one player, because that's the only player that 
you know, was nearby for them to aggro on, you end up with a completely different problem. And so I think a lot of the gameplay experience of Trial Chambers is balanced to how can players defend themselves against this. And yes, you can pillar up a couple of blocks and you're usually safe from anything within melee range, but that's still difficult when another spawner fires up on the other side of the room and breezes come out and they start, like, chucking wind charges at you to bounce you off whatever pillar you've ended up finding yourself on top of. So, yeah, th there's, there's some balance questions there that I think deserve a little bit of playtesting before we uh, commit wholeheartedly to joining the skeleton army. I think Axe skeletons should have those little swirly particles around them, showing that they're just covered in Axe body spray, and so everybody <laughs> has to run away. <laughs> it's, a, it's a joke that works for the North American audiences, Joel, but unfortunately it's called Lynx over here. So, uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. So, so add, add Lynxes to Minecraft is the next request. Um, but the next request we've got uh, on, in our inbox comes in from Sabriel and OJ, who is a landscape artist member of our Discord. Uh, and the subject is uses for breeze drops. Very apropos from our previous discussion. Hi, Joel and Pix. After listening to your discussion this week about potential drops for the breeze, I had some ideas. The obvious drop would be a wind charge or something similar as an analogue to the fire charge that lets players harness the power of the wind for themselves. That would be fun, but like fire charges, I think players would struggle to find enough to do or anything useful or automated to do with it. My other idea is for the breeze to drop something that can be used as a potion ingredient for brewing a potion of cold resistance, similar to how blaze powder is an ingredient in fire resistance. I don't imagine it would be the most used potion, but it would be cool, no pun intended, to have. Currently our only defense against powder snow is don't fall in, whereas other damage types like drowning and fire have potions that specifically negate them. Sabriel and OJ fell in powdered snow but didn't die, thanks to their potion of cold resistance. I often chime in about consistency in the game. So I can't say that the idea of a cold resistant potion is a bad one, but I agree in that it isn't as useful as a water breathing or a fire resistance potion. And I know that we can use leather boots to walk on top of uh, powdered snow, but I think that kind of falls in the, the don't fall in sort of way of approaching it. Yeah. Uh, and it forces you to wear, you know, leather boots that you may not want to because you want more protection or you want to have, you know, you maybe maybe your boots are gold and that's how you keep the piglins away from you in the nether. Yeah, you know, yeah. Depending on what you're doing, uh, I feel like forcing players to use leather boots, it's not something that most advanced players just don't bother. They just either deal with powdered snow or just avoid it altogether. Uh, but I was thinking maybe the breeze could drop frost. Uh, so that could line up with being used in a potion for um, for cold resistance if they wanted to just for consistency. But I wondered if frost could be applied to blocks or surfaces like lichen or pink petals, making things look frozen. We have ice blocks and we have snow blocks, but the only thing we have in addition to that are snow layers, which completely cover the top of whatever you put them on. And so if you're trying to make other blocks look cold or kind of mesh them into a frozen build or frozen landscape, we don't really have much to do. Uh, and I think that that would be really cool to have like a frost layer that you could apply to something. I might be just having like Christmas village visions just because we're getting close <laughs> to the holidays. Yeah. But, you know, like I think it, it's another example of adding a single texture to uh, to the world that would then add a lot of different texture com com combinations without adding like multiple items. It's just one thing and then you can put it on top of everything in the game or almost everything in the game. And maybe it has some rules, you know, like maybe you can't place frost in deserts, badlands and jungles. 
you know, uh, or uh, warm oceans, you know, that kind of thing. Maybe you can only do it in, in the mid to colder biomes. I don't want to restrict it in my brain just to like tundra and, and ice spikes and stuff like that, because you might want to have, you know, some of the things that are available to you in like a grassy plains and make it look snowy. Uh, and then being able to place frost on your windows would be kind of cool. I don't know. There's, there's some ideas that there that I think could, could be explored, you know? And potentially, if you had Frost as a placeable thing that you could lay down a path of, maybe that has some synergy with Frost Walker, and you end up with a, a situation where, like Soul Speed, it gives you a speed boost if you're running on that compared to running on nice. standard blocks. Yeah. You know, there's there's some there's some synergy there. I can see that being a being an option. And yeah, like you, I I do like the fact that they pointed out there are these environmental damage things which we have resistances to but a newer one that we we don't without compromising armor and so i think the cold resistance idea is a a pretty fun one i will admit i was thrown slightly by thinking blaze powder is an ingredient in fire resistance because i've been doing some potion brewing recently and i wait i went wait a minute no that's a strength potion but then i realized of course you can combine it with uh, slime to make magma uh, magma cream and that's how you get the uh, the fire resistance potion so that that does make sense after all and uh, my only thought from this one was that a throwable breeze wind charge sounds like a snowball, but with consequences. <laughs> because right now, snowballs aren't really that effective at doing much. You can damage blazes with them, um, but all they really do is knock back. And the thing about wind charges is that they hit a surface and they apply knockback as like an area of effect thing, regardless of whether they hit a target. They don't have to hit an entity for it to push entities in the area. And so I think there's some some cool ideas there the difficulty with comparing it to fire charges is that right now the player can't throw a fire charge in the same way that you throw a snowball right it looks like one of those round items but you have to apply it to a block you can use them to light a nether portal but it just sets a fire somewhere instead of being a fireball that you chuck mario style and i think fire charges in dispensers will just fire in a very straight line uh instead of you know having a more organic throw to them and so i i would imagine a wind charge would be most effective used from the inventory as a player if it functioned a bit more like a snowball or an ender pearl as a thrown projectile like that it would be neat if you could use wind charges somehow to power transportation my my brain is thinking like a line of dispensers along a wall that are pushing you down a track you know like it maybe mm -hmm. it's an ice ice line and you fire the dispenser behind you and then the wind charge pushes you forward because you only have that way to go uh because that's what you're facing or that's because the wind charge happened behind you and then you time it so that when you get to the end of your slide the next wind charge shoots behind you and pushes you farther but that would require having a lot of these at your dispense and i don't think that at the moment breezes don't feel like they're going to be something that you can farm tons and tons and tons of you know so that could change but but that would be interesting um the other thing that would be neat is if you somehow put it in something in the same way that you know we have furnace mine carts and you can put coal in it maybe putting a wind charge somewhere like in a chest boat you know maybe it turns it into an outboard motor i don't know you could have, yeah. you could have some fun with it it occurs to me that um now that there was a a, a change in one of the change logs a bug fix that said breezes can uh now uh, they're no longer passive when they're in minecarts or boats. And I thought, what if a breeze is in a boat 
and it's firing nearby, but the boat as an entity gets pushed by the wind charge, and suddenly the breeze just kind of propels itself away from you. And if you could somehow harness that. And that's similar to the functionality they had planned for penguins if they got voted in as part of the mob vote, right? As being able to push boats for you. Uh, so <laughs> I sort of imagine the breeze somehow being finagled so you could use it that way. And if you get in a boat with a breeze, yeah, it becomes a, uh, a motor for you and starts pushing you along. Because I imagine that on ice boat roads, that'd be chaos. That'd be wild. So the main topic for discussion this week, we wanted to talk about where 1.21 was headed, since we expect that we're unlikely to see any new features before next year when 2024 begins. So with what we've seen so far, is it possible to predict what else is coming in Minecraft 1.21? And I think we can start by considering what seemed to be the two pillars of this update as they talked about them at Minecraft Live, which was the tinkering side of the game and the combat side of the game. And I think combat is probably the harder of the two to speculate about because that involves adding new mobs and we know that's something that is approached cautiously. But I think with the additions of the breeze and trial chambers, we might have seen about as deep as the combat side of this update goes because those are two fairly large features in terms of what they add to the game already. The addition of the breeze as a mob and the trial chambers being a whole new structure especially when you compare it to something like the last two updates where the ancient city has been the big structure and these trial chambers get pretty large i can't imagine them doing too much more for the combat side of the game without maybe a mechanical overhaul for combat like the experimental snapshots we had from a few years ago i don't know about additional combat the combat the combat from a few years ago seemed to be very focused on pvp p versus pve and this the trial spawners and the trial chambers seem to be more of a pve experience than than the fighting one another you know like i i feel like the mission with the trial chambers is to team up with your friends uh, i know we've talked about turning them into like a you know a combat chamber later on after you've defeated them and you want to use the space uh, but yeah i feel like the combat so far at least that we've seen uh, in 1.21 features has been mostly PvE focused. Yeah, and and the the combat snapshots had a few changes that would affect PvE. Like the um, there was a rebalancing of how much saturation affected your health regenerating, which is a much more general mechanic than just something that applies to PvP. Um, there were some things that weren't even necessarily going to help with combat all that much, but would really help builders, like the ability to stack snowballs to 64 so that you could craft more snow blocks. And the ability to stack potions to 16 was something they tried out in those uh, snapshots as well. So I, I do wonder if maybe there's some stuff that they can shuffle around which will still affect the PvE experience. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do agree that a lot of the work that needs to be done on combat mechanics in general is probably going to be there to appease the pvp crowd and maybe bring them forward to a newer version of minecraft if they're still stuck on version 1.8 before shields and the weapon cooldown and, and charge up time was really introduced i'm not really much of a pve or pvp guy in minecraft i mean i'm a builder for sure but i also just feel other games do it better. So I, I tend to get that itch scratched elsewhere and mm -hmm. don't really participate much. Uh, that said, though, I mean, like, I know that it's it's a big thing for a lot of people. So I'm happy to see any changes that they make to combat. You know, if they bring any of those features that were being worked on forward, um, you know, changing in saturation and changing the way that food works could help make the trial chambers feel more challenging. Or or if they if they end up being too hard, 
then then changing that could also make it feel a little bit easier. Uh, that kind of stuff could could happen. And I know that mini games are a big thing for a lot of people on servers, and and changing combat mechanics could help with those, and maybe create other games. Um, st- I mean, right when you said stacking snowballs to sixty four, I was thought like, man, if there is a way within the data of the game to track the number of times you've been hit by a snowball or hit by a person's snowball then that would be great having a, a couple of stacks of snowballs and you're just running around playing tag and the person that has the most hits wins mm-hmm. without actually killing anybody you know it's just it's just a matter of um throwing snow around and that's it's fun and it's it's i mean not that minecraft is a very violent game but like it you know it, it removes the killing somebody else from the game if you wanted to have really young kids run around and play tag with snowballs it's a lot more family friendly in that way um, but I like the nice thing about this is that I am not invested enough in player combat via PVP or PVE to really have strong feelings either way. So whatever they change, I'm probably going to be okay with. Like I can't see it really affecting my day to day that much. Yeah, same. Honestly, uh, like uh, I spend most of my time in single player worlds, so I don't tend to worry too much about combat once I've got a decent set of gear. And on the flip side, you and I are much more interested in the tinkering side of things. And from that, we've seen the crafter, which sort of represents the redstone side of this update. We've also got the copper bulb as part of that. And then the decorative blocks from the copper block palette are the things that they have described as looking tinkered so far. Um, And so tinkering to me already conjures the idea of metal work and so there are a bunch of different ways that can go we have a bunch of different metals in the game now and maybe expanding on the customization that we saw from armor trims in 1.20 potentially there's room for accessories to pop up in 1.21 and beyond um this is something that modded minecraft has frequently there are like baubles and things like that that add rings that can give you certain powers and small buffs and that kind of thing but tinkering to me really conjures the idea of of metal work and even on just like a decorative block level we could end up with more blocks like iron bars or chains and and you know in theory those would be interesting just as a palette swap from what we have already so if you could make gold chains or copper chains instead of just the iron ones alternatively the minecraft team might decide that it's better to have ideas that aren't just a reskin of existing blocks so they might save ideas like that for something that has its own unique functionality like how they're not just completely repeating the same set of textures for every type of stone block for example but they're giving tough bricks their own personality and their own style um, there, there is potential for the update to go full steampunk if they want to go in that direction. Maybe have clockwork additions to crossbows that allow them to auto-fire as you hold down right-click or something like that. And I've seen a few people asking for things like steam engines to help with Minecraft travel. I know minecarts have been on a potential overhaul list for a while. So while that feels like a major area of the game to be attempting to update at this stage, they've already shown us some pretty major features, and I'm not convinced yet that we've been shown the major features of this update because remember last year all we got was chiseled bookshelves camels hanging signs and stuff like that and then later in the year we learned oh we're also adding the cherry grove biome the armor trim system and smithing is changing and there were a few additions to 1.20 that were large and came as a complete surprise later on in the year like you when i think about tinkering i think about gears clockwork those old spring-powered tin toys, you know, from like yeah. the 40s mm-hmm. and the 50s, like that kind of thing. I don't think necessarily big factories or or big machinery so much as I think like little things. And I love the idea of, of steampunk and 
I think while Minecraft tends to stay away from really heavily thematic additions, they they have a lot of copper now in the game and they have a lot of things that kind of lean in that direction to inspire or facilitate that kind of thing. But what I like so much about the idea of steampunk is that it has the same kind of whimsy that Minecraft has in the way that just things work, the way that boats work, that you can roll them on the grass and like just stuff like that. That's a little bit quirky. And it just reminds me of like the refrigerator that Doc Brown built in like 1878 in Back to the Future 3. It's yeah. the size of a barn, right? Yeah. And it's got all these whirly gigs and like steam coming out of it and all this kind of stuff. And it shoots out two little ice cubes into a glass of iced tea, right? Like that kind of stuff I think is is really fun and definitely lines up with what Minecraft kind of has as a vibe. And if they do anything with tinkering with minecarts, like you mentioned, or anything else that allows players to then create these kind of Rube Goldberg type contraptions or anything that allows for more modern looking structures, but not necessarily going as far as like modern day 20th century, but like you get into like steam engine type tech, you know, metal rivets, that kind of thing could be could be interesting. I'd love to see uh, extra metal textures like you mentioned in the game. I know we've mentioned this before about me wanting iron textures to be more consistent across the board, being able to keep the iron block as it is now, or maybe with an update and rename it to like a polished iron block and then have actual iron blocks be cast iron, similar to the cauldron and, and to the anvil. And I've seen texture packs and mod packs that have metal blocks in them and it's a really fun look. And it's also made more fun by the sound. You know, when you're walking in those mod packs on metal blocks, it sounds like a hollow metal, like duct, you know, like, like a, a, a air duct that you'd see in, in different, um, different films and stuff. And my satisfactory brain thinks it would be really cool to be able to smelt together iron and coal and get steel and like, get like a different uh, a different metal block in the game. I don't think that going into metal blocks would really be outside of the realm of Minecraft. Like I feel like they fit, they're very structural. Metal is often very straight, you know, it, like it kind of fits with the blocky nature of the game. Yeah, I, I think it's reasonable to imagine at least decorative blocks in the other metal types than copper. Maybe they don't have the range copper has, but if you think along the lines of the chiseled copper block that they included in this snapshot you think maybe like a a stamped gold block or an engraved diamond block could be feasible and it'd be interesting whether they decide that that locks it into the block shape and you can't then uncraft it as a resource block into its component parts anymore like that diamond block is staying as a block and is not going to be nine diamonds for you anymore and that could potentially generate some controversy among people who obviously still want to use diamonds for various things, especially now they have more uses with duplicating armor trim and, and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I, I do think the, uh, the, the, the other metal types and the other precious blocks could be you know, due for some sort of overhaul and so that you can do a bit more interesting decorative side with them. When I think about tinkering, I was also thinking a little bit outside the game and more about that word being applied to the internal development of Minecraft. So tinkering is a great word to get people's imaginations going out in the player base, but if tinkering could also be applied to maybe the team tinker tinkering around internally, like maybe with 
mob models or mob animation updates in the future. Uh, I'd love to see some consistency across the board for directional block placement. You know, uh, I know it's an old bone to pick, but like that, that kind of thing where they are just tinkering with how some of the things work in game, not necessarily changing them, just like making them more consistent or by allowing directional block placement that then opens up all kinds of different textures and they didn't have to add anything new to the game. They just had to change the way that a block was being able to be placed, right? Yeah, and, and given what we were talking about earlier, especially if it's a refinement to an existing feature, that's the kind of thing that you can see them sneaking into the minor updates for 1.21 as well. Like if they decide to continue tinkering with some of the concepts that they introduce sure. in this update, then sure, yeah, like you can you can definitely see the update's theme continuing into the work that they do in, in minor releases as well. Um, the other things we need to cover here are the outstanding things that we know are going to have some role in this update, but up until this point have not really appeared. Um, the trial keys are really the outstanding mystery, and based on community speculation, there is a huge range of possibilities, from them reactivating trial spawners, to unlocking some sort of locked loot chest, to having some connection to ancient city portal frames. And I want to say in the past, the Minecraft team has shown they aren't beyond just leaving some mysteries unresolved. Like, the, the ancient city portal itself is a fine example of this. But I think... It would be disappointing if they put the keys into this update with no use, since there are few other useless items in Minecraft, and the blocks of an ancient city portal can exist there without needing to be explained, but they're not something the player can physically hold in their hand. And once you've given somebody something, saying it doesn't do anything feels like an anticlimax, and so I don't think that's necessarily what they've got if they didn't have something planned for them in 1.21 they wouldn't have introduced them at this stage as trial spawner loot is my presumption here um so yeah i i am curious about what those are going to be doing and hopefully sometime in early 2024 that's when we start finding out or at least getting hints about what they might do and i think one ongoing piece of feedback from players going back to the combat idea is the desire for more uh, more boss encounters. Since, I mean, the Elder Guardians, I think, are technically counted as bosses, but if you ignore those, the last boss to be added to the game was the Wither. I think that was in 1.4 or 1.3. And either way, that's been over a decade since a boss experience was added to Minecraft. And I, we all think the Warden doesn't count, I think, at this point, because the Warden is not intended to be a, a fight experience. They've not called it a boss, even though... By typical game standards, a boss is just like a big scary enemy that is a difficult thing to fight and has lots of health, which the Warden meets in terms of that criteria. But if it's not intended to be an experience like that, like an arena fight like the Ender Dragon is, for example, then it doesn't really apply. So in other games, keys are often required to unlock boss rooms of some kind. And it occurs to me that the trial key would be a great way of linking one combat experience to another combat experience. The difficulty, of course, being where do you stage that combat arena? And if that means going through the ancient city portal and arriving somewhere that you can fight some kind of boss there, or if it just unlocks something else that appears elsewhere in the world that can trigger a boss encounter, I suppose that's also an option. Um, the other <laughs> the other thing to, to link trial keys to tinkering is potentially a trial key is used to wind up some sort of clockwork mechanism. And that goes back to the idea of making the game a bit more steampunk. So 
there is a lot of potential there, but I think one of the main things players are left with in this stage in the game is what are the trial keys going to do? What's that looking like for the release of 1.21? When I think about the boss fights, I often think about like what the rewards are. So Dragon, you get access to the Outer End Islands and Elytra. The Wither, you get the Nether Star and access to beacons, yeah. provided that you've also dealt with some Wither skeletons along the way. Uh, I, I agree with you in that I don't think the the warden is is a boss fight i would call it a boss encounter i think that you're like it's meant to have the same weight as a boss but like the mechanic there is avoid it don't fight it right and if the trial keys activate that portal somehow then like hopefully they do something really cool like maybe the portal has to flash three times to turn on and it makes a noise so that when you turn it on it summons the warden and you really have to go through <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah for, forces you to get like one way time time to run you know you're, you're, like monster... you're turning the key in there a couple of times and it's like you're trying to start a car that won't start yeah <laughs> while the horde of zombies <laughs> is like encroaching on you right it's like you yeah. gotta you gotta kick this thing in order to get it to work yeah it starts to putter around like a a, a ford from like the 1900s <laughs> i yeah, I or like a crank start car. Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't know about the keys. I from an artist perspective, like I look at them and they're a very attractive sprite. That's a lot of work to put into something that doesn't do anything. Yeah. So they have to be used for something. Um, I was assuming they were just going to be used to turn on more trial spawners as a way to negate the half an hour cooldown. That would be to me the less exciting but more likely use of a trial key. Um, but we'll see. I, I'd be happy to, to see them do other things. I mean, it is a crafting and building game. Maybe trial keys can be combined with something else. Just like you have to get the nether stars and the wither skeleton skulls to make a beacon. Maybe the trial keys have to be combined with something else in the game, you know, like trial key plus copper grate equals, I don't know, you know, and, and that could be fun tinkering, you know, using the trial key to turn something or power something. I don't, I don't know if that's something that we want to add to the game whether that gets into modded territory or and i feel like that kind of stuff starts to evoke visions of like the create mod and things turning and clockwork and that kind of stuff so i i don't know like I, i'm not sure where the trial keys are going and the last thing that you brought up uh that i didn't even think about in my uh, notes but we've we've had, had glimpses of this is that of course the mob vote winner has not been added in any of the recent snapshots we are waiting on what's going to happen with the armadillo yeah, and I I want to know if you have any additional thoughts as to what you know might happen with the armadillo. We did get some concept art that came out. Uh, I, w- I want to say it was last Monday uh, on Twitter. The Minecraft uh, channel on Twitter put out a uh, concept art of the armadillo. Nothing too crazy. It's just you know a bunch of different things that uh, show what the armadillo potentially could look like. And uh, I, uh, I I like it. I I think it looks pretty cool. They uh, they have. Uh, a version in the concept art that I think is is really nice, which has a best the best way to describe it is like the shoulder area of the armadillo is a bigger box than the bum part. And I think that that looks a lot better than just a straight up box, right? Because it just looks like a shoe box with a head and a tail, which I understand armadillos kind of look like that. But I think from a flavor standpoint, I think the armadillo model that they're exploring with a bigger kind of chest or shoulder area uh, is more interesting and more modern looking and then still sticks with the, you know, cuboid nature of designing things in Minecraft. I also hope that the ears and the tail in the model have volume like they do in the model, similar to Piglin's ears, rather than just like a flat pixel, 
thing. Uh, I, you know, it gives you an opportunity to have ears wiggle, have the head turn and look around. Uh, the tail could move, that kind of thing. I mean, a happy armadillo could wag its tail like a dog. I really have no idea. Um, but that, that could be really fun. Uh, and I know obviously that it has to be able to pull those things in and probably change texture and look like it's in a little ball. Cause I think they showed that as something it might do yeah. in the animations, the little tiny Yens encountered one. Um, so yeah, like I, I think that, um, the model is looking cool. I don't know what, you know, how it's all going to be implemented, but because the you know, sky's the limit, uh, going back into that internal development, uh, tinkering idea. I mean, maybe wolf armor will lead to tinkering with the wolf model and animations, perhaps even tamed wolf model variations. That could be really cool too. Um, I know you've mentioned on the show before about potentially adding armor trim to wolf armor. I, I can see it as a cool thing, but like, I'm not sure whether that just adds like a really complicated list of textures that have to be added just because of, we know, all know how complicated the texture is for player armor and, and um, armor trim. Yeah, and I certainly don't want to give the art team too much stuff to do, but I think in single-player worlds, it also gives a great option for what to do with armor trim once the player has decided on their armor trim set. Like, you know, obviously you're going to want to keep some around just in case you lose that armor set and you need to make more and you want to have more stylish designs to put on it. Like, that happened to me recently. But I, I do think having something else to do with armor trim in a single player world is an attractive prospect so that's another reason that i'm i'm kind of uh encouraging the uh the, the community to think about wolf armor and and give feedback about whether it can be trimmed or what can be done to to customize it um i think overall my main question about the armadillo is going to be yeah, does it have any other mechanics related to it? Say, for example, when it rolls into a ball, it becomes impervious to arrows in the same way that shulkers are when they are closed. And then does that make it a more accessible alternative to shulkers if you want to have a mechanic that, say, rebounds an arrow off of something in a farm? Like, I, I don't know if that's <laughs> that's necessarily going to be a worthwhile mechanic to have for anything, but it, it could be potentially usable like technical community does some some wild stuff with mob mechanics they can they can find some stuff the other thing is what does it eat because if it's going to drop armadillo scute in the same way that turtles do when they you know breed and the small ones grow up you have to have something to breed it with and we've remarked on the show previously about how armadillos eat insects and the termites that were going to be added as part of the savannah biome update could be a perfect candidate for that but in the meantime, they have to be fed something that exists in the game already, and we don't really have much in the way of, like, bugs that the player can pick up as an item, right? So whether the armadillo feeds on live food from its environment and you have to, like, chuck an endemite at it or something and then, then rely on it attacking the endemite like an enderman does, or if you, you know, end up adding some new foodstuffs that are specific to feeding armadillos, or if you go the other route and you know this this armadillo likes vegetables and you just feed it a carrot or something and it does the same thing i am i'm curious as to what they will do typically lately they have been quite keen to get the food right for you know passive mobs like this like obviously the the frog uh indication if if, if that's anything to go by they don't want to be f uh, feeding this something that's potentially going to be harmful to it in nature but there also aren't that many people out there interacting with armadillos. So I don't know quite how much of a concern that is for Mojang when it comes to developing the way we breed these mobs. Yeah, a quick Google search says they eat fruit and eggs. 
it's oh animals. eggs eggs could be yeah. an interesting one <laughs> just even going... carrion so i mean wow. the, yeah. there's a, there's a long list they tend they look like they're omnivores so really i mean apples but i mean i guess if you want it to be unique you know um there isn't any other animal in the game that eats eggs right it's only players yeah, I mean, foxes will eat the chickens, but I, th- I think they leave the eggs alone, yeah. which, uh, l- let me tell you, from personal experience, is quite the opposite uh, of, of like the foxes that are in my neighborhood. <laughs> They're always just leaving eggshell all over the lawn when they like dug eggs out of the neighbor's bins. Um, mm. <laughs> but yeah, like th- this this is going to be the launch of the, uh, the, the Minecraft picture book adaptation, If You Feed an Armadillo a Cookie. Um, <laughs> then you've got <laughs> then you've got to bring it a bucket of milk. I think is the follow up. Um, so yeah, armadillos are potentially still a a grey area and one that we're looking forward to them exploring in in 2024. I think we'll wrap up our discussion there. Uh, but it's been great to talk about this stuff. And of course, I'm sure the folks out there in the community have tons of ideas for what could potentially be part of the 1.21 update so we'd love to hear about them and we'll be reading a bit of extra chunk mail as we go into the holidays and we pre-record a couple of episodes ahead of the holiday season so we'd love to hear from you on the usual email address but that's going to be it for this episode of the spawn chunks you can find more information about our show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today in the show notes at thespawnchunks.com the music for the show was composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud to be a listener supported podcast if you get some value out of the show why not consider putting some value back into the show you can visit patreon.com slash the spawn chunks to join our community where pledging at any paid level get you an invite to our patrons only discord chat you can listen to the show live when we record it every monday and we have our monthly minecraft audio hangouts the latest one of which is in the rss feed now and we currently have 334 patrons which is up two from last week so thank you to the two of you for jumping on board Special thanks go out to our content engineer patrons, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, Mind Trip Media, Party Voyager, and Yitz for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just tell a friend about The Spawn Chunks and that they can listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even YouTube. Be sure to leave a rating and a review on your favorite platform. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but on Let It Go by Pixelriffs, you can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where the Minecraft Survival Guide is currently in its third season. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work for my YouTube series. That's where a lot of the Guardian farm got done. And I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything that I'm doing online is at joelduggan.com, including a link to the Citadel Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment although right now we've got a holiday episode out about uh, upcoming holiday movies you might want to check out i am joel duggan on social media very easy to find joel duggan on twitch where i stream thursday through sunday but i've been fitting in a lot of extra satisfactory streams lately i am however still pushing forward on the citadel working on west hill i'm trying to get this finished before the end of 2023 and so again hoping for that 1.20.3 release in the next few weeks Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, but we're still tinkering with the future.